This is Over the Culture Podcast, where you get to hear my spin on things I like, like music, sports, sports entertainment, movies, TV shows, and your mom. You also get to hear about things I don't like, like stupid coons. Coons are bad enough. Oh my God, nothing worse than a stupid one. And I'm your bastard of ceremonies, the one gay kid past stay black, Alex Treblack, me for Southern Loop Fly Talker, the most interesting nerd in podcasting, the troll of trolls, the prince of petty, Steve G. It's October 16th, 2022, and over the week, we finally get our shit show of a debate between Herschel Walker and Raphael Warnock, the incumbent senator. And the highlight of this shit show was after all the accusations of Herschel Walker being a flat out liar of just about everything he said during this uh, campaign, uh, he pulls out this party store general family dollar ass police badge. Uh, to dispute the claims that he's lied about working for and with and or with law enforcement. And one of the debate moderators admonished Mr. Walker after he brandished the badge and asked him to put it away. She said that he was well aware of the debate's rules against using props on stage. And he claimed that it wasn't a prop. It was real. Uh, However, the badge he presented on the debate stage was not an authentic badge that trained sheriffs carry, but an honorary badge often given to celebrities in sports or entertainment. And this has been done in the past. Uh, Cobb County, they named Dominique Wilkins a special deputy. I remember Shaquille O'Neal being named a special deputy uh, in southeast Atlanta. And so, you know... In fairness, he's that that was some truth. There's some truth. Um, but still, I, I just cannot believe I can't fathom how this could even be considered a neck and neck race. The motherfucker, not only did he go to school for politics or anything of this nature, the fucker didn't even finish school. He didn't even complete his de- he didn't get a degree. He has a degree in nothing. He has a Heisman. He has accolades in football on the gridiron. Yeah. But that shit does not translate to fucking politics. Being diplomatic. Things of that nature. There's a reason why most of the politicians and presidents, senators, things of that. uh, There's a reason why they go to school specifically for this. And... Most of them tend to come from Ivy League schools. Now, I I don't want to shit on University of Georgia. I'm sure they have great programs, great education system. But still, he didn't even finish that. Because he was so good at football, he took his talents to the AFL in the 80s. And once that company failed... He finally went to the NFL. I remember he did a little stint with the Cowboys and he did his thing for what it's worth. I can't take that away from him. I've said this before on record. He's quite possibly the greatest athlete the state of Georgia has ever produced. I'll give you that. But however, you're not worth my vote. 
There may be some truth in you working for and or with law enforcement, but shit. We got receipts of everything else that you fucking lied about. Everything else. So yeah, I do plan on watching this because, you know, I enjoy uh, car crashes and, and train wrecks in person. Um, so I, I know that it's available on YouTube. So I got to check that out and watch this man put his foot in his mouth every time he opens it. Now, also, uh, word through the grapevine, the gentleman that I spoke of at my place of employment that I had to take to HR, I, I had to uh, be the, the blackmail Karen. Apparently, he's no longer with us. He's persona non grata, and I'm not going to revel in that. It's nothing to celebrate. I, I don't celebrate or, or find fun or humor in a man losing his job I don't take pleasure in that um, and especially if I was the one responsible for him losing his job but that does tell me something uh, it couldn't have been just me if that was the case it had to be a history of people reporting this person to HR and I will say this karma is real people karma is real you're going to get what you give. And if you pissed off other people, just like you pissed me off that one particular day, hey, man, you've got some growing and learning to do, my friend. Uh, best of wishes to you. On Friday, Lil Baby, one of my favorite current artists, based out of ATL, he released his latest album, It's Only Me. And the album is 23 songs. God, what a fucking saga of an album. 23 tracks, one hour and five minutes, with features from Future, Young Thug, Friday, Nardo Wick, uh, Rilo Rodriguez, Jeremiah, ESTG, Pooh Shiesty, and uh, man, I added just about everything on the playlist, as you would imagine, uh, I'm a little baby fanatic. And the track with Pooh Shiesty, Shice Talk, I like that. Uh, back and forth with ESTG, another one of my current favorite artists. Uh, I had to add that. The track with Future, From Now On, had to add that. Never Hayden, featuring Young Thug, had to add that. The track with Nardo Wick, Pop Out, goes ham fucking sandwich. Uh, but yeah, man, Lil Baby is back. Uh, it's only me, and it's only a fire-ass album and also on friday t grizzly released his latest album and it's titled chapters of the trenches it's 13 tracks 40 minutes and 42 seconds and it, i don't know if this is a concept album because i haven't gotten a chance to check it out yet uh just time time but i'm gonna get to it later today but the tracks uh i'm gonna go down the list it, it starts off with four word and then the next track is Jay Antoine 1, Jay Antoine 2, Jay Antoine 3, Shakespeare's Classic. Mm, that's an oddly titled track. Robbery Part 4, Robbery Part, part 5. I, I guess we missed Robbery Parts 1 and 2. Or no, this is all cohesive, I guess. We went from Jay Antoine 1 through 3, then Robbery Part 4 and 5. And then Miss Evans 1, Miss Evans 2. Seen so much. Tez and Tone 1. Tez and Tone 2. Free Baby Grizz Part 3. And um, yeah, 
interesting title choices for these songs but I, like i said i'm gonna check it out because t grizzly he's another one of those detroit rappers and i just can't let those pass i can't let those slip by without me getting a gander let, let me get a look at it looksy poo so yeah t grizzly and little baby two chart topping artists that just released on the same day but uh yeah also on saturday i I rejoice in this i definitely celebrate this shit those bama roll titers they fucking lost they lost to the tennessee volunteers 52 to 49 that's a high scoring game and you know i feel like an angel gets his wings when alabama loses a game on saturday uh you know hopefully we won't see those fuckers in the championship again this year uh good for you tennessee as my jewish buddy john canick would say mazel pop your collar tennessee you deserved it you earned it uh and what else we got we we had penn state the penn state nittany lines from happy valley Ooh, happy valley we 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 get touchdowns and we touch little boys yeah they got their ass beat by the michigan that team up north wolverines who play in the big house and they played in the big house uh which is also the nickname of jail um but yeah they basically handed the shitney lions their asses and uh i really wish there was a way both of those teams could have fucking lost but uh both of you will get yours all right you're gonna get your earn my buckeyes had a bye week this week uh but i did get to see a little bit of my guardians uh the guardians uh the tribe called guardians they beat those yankees in new york on friday and then come saturday they beat them in cleveland because cleveland rocks so mazel to those cleveland gordians and uh yeah let's do it again tonight they they play the the yanks the new york stanks again tonight around seven i believe in cleveland and uh man let's see if we can get this 3-1 lead because fuck the yankees forever fuck aaron judge uh, i did just can't stand you motherfuckers and i never forgot what you assholes did to us in the playoffs what was it 2018 yeah i ain't forgot yeah some of y'all might have forgot i ain't nah y'all gotta get yours we gotta get our get back and shout out to those cowboys playing the philadelphia eagles let's take that fucking undefeated streak away from those fuckers my least favorite team in all of nfl more so than the redskins the redskins are supposed to be our biggest rivals but they haven't been relevant since daryl green goddammit. so you know why fucking beat that dead horse yeah like we, we get it they're divisional rivals they've been around about as long as we have yeah fuck them too but recently these last couple probably in the past couple decades it's really been those eagles that's been grinding my gears and chafing my dick so let's go at it boys how about it but all things october 16th in 1990 run dmc releases back from hell and i'll be sure releases private times and the whole nine. Oh, also in 1990 ghetto boys releases the self-titled album the ghetto boys in 1992, Candyman, the first one, premiered in theaters. In 1996, Get on the Bus, a Spike Lee joint, premiered in theaters. In 1998, the films Bride of Chucky and Happiness premiered. In 
1999, The Amanda Show, starring Amanda Bynes, debuts on Nickelodeon. In 2001, Ozzy Osbourne releases Down to Earth, as well as Michael Jackson releasing the special editions of his albums of Off the Wall, Thriller, Bad, and Dangerous to celebrate his 30th anniversary as a solo musician. In 2009, Janky Promoters, Law Abiding Citizen, and Where the Wild Things Are premiered. In 2015, Beast of No Nation premieres, as well as The Game releasing the documentary 2.5, and Joe Budden releases All Love Lost. In 2020, Benny the Butcher releases Burden of Proof, Black Thought releases Streams of Thought Volume 3, Cain and Abel, and Gucci Mane and the New 1017 releases So Icy Gang Volume 1. Also in 2020, T.I. releases, in my opinion, his best album, The Libra. But more important to me than all of that, in 2009, the same day Janky Promoters, Law Abiding Citizen, and Where the Wall Things Are premiered, Black Dynamite premiered in theaters, starring Michael Jai White, Sally Richardson, Tommy Davidson, Byron Men, and I mean, to me, I, I'm no Cisco or Ebert or Roper, but I'd give that motherfucker a 10. Fuck a five-star rating. I give that motherfucker a 10. It was sexy. It was exotic. I, I give it a 10. I, I just like how they replicated that black exploitation feel, the dialogue, uh, the soundtrack, the score. And it's Michael J. White kicking ass. He's a real-life badass. And I just feel like this is an unsung... <laughs> It's an unsung film that doesn't get enough credit, man. Just like Michael J. White. All of this hoopla about Chuck Norris, let's reserve that for Michael J. White, who could kick 17 Chuck Norris's asses all in the same day. How about that fly shit? Today in sports history, in 1909, the Pittsburgh Pirates beat the Detroit Tigers 8-0 at Bennett Park to clinch a 4-3 World Series win. It would be the Tigers' third straight World Series defeat. And on that same day, in his fourth title defense, Jack Johnson knocks out Stanley Ketchell in the 12th round at Mission State Arena in Colma, California to retain his heavyweight boxing crown. In 1912, the Boston Red Sox beat the New York Giants 3-2 at Fenway Park to clinch a 4-3-1 series win. The series extended to eight games as one game tied due to darkness. In 1936, Lou Gehrig is voted the American League MVP. In 1942, the National Boxing Association freezes titles of those serving in armed services. In 1962, the New York Yankees win their 20th championship, beating the San Francisco Giants 1-0 at Candlestick Park for a 4-3 World Series victory. MVP for the Yankees is pitcher Ralph Terry. In 1968, Americans Tommy Smith and John Carlos famously give the Black Power salute on the 200-meter medal podium during the Mexico City Olympics to protest racism and injustice against African Americans. Show enough. In 1968, the Milwaukee Bucks play their first game, losing 89-84 to the Chicago Bulls. In 1969, in a 100-1 shot, the New York Mets beat the Baltimore Orioles 5-3 at Shea Stadium for an upset 4-1 series win. The MVP is Mets first baseman Don Clendenin. 
1976, Toronto Maple Leaf Lanny McDonald scores a hat-trick in 2 minutes and 54 seconds. In 1983, the Baltimore Orioles beat the Philadelphia Phillies 5-0 for a four games to one series victory. The MVP is Baltimore catcher Rick Dempsey. In 1988, Oral Hershiser is the first to pitch a shutout in a playoff and World Series. In 1990, Cincinnati Reds' Eric Davis is the 22nd player to homer in his first World Series at bat. In 1991, Dallas Mavericks' Roy Tarpley becomes the seventh person to be banned from the NBA for life under the league's anti-drug agreement. In 2004, 17-year-old Lionel Messi makes his league debut for FC Barcelona in a 1-0 win against crosstown rivals Espanyol. And in 2016, Ed Whitlock at 85 becomes the oldest person to complete a marathon under four hours at Toronto Waterfront Marathon three hours and 56 minutes. And that was my half-assed sports history. Coming up, I'm going to go over the film Black Dynamite, released on this day in 2009. We'll be black after these messages. Tuesday, we lost American singer Willie Spence. 
Born on June 18, 1999 in West Palm Beach, Florida, he was the runner-up of the 19th season of American Idol at the age of 22. Spence was killed in a car crash on Interstate 24 near Chattanooga on October 11, 2022. His death was reported by the Marion County Sheriff's Office. According to WSB-TV in Atlanta, he was driving a Jeep Cherokee when he veered off of I-24 at around 1600 Eastern. His vehicle struck a car that was stopped on the shoulder of the road. The driver of that vehicle was not injured. He was 23 at the time of his death. Also on Tuesday, we lost Irish, British, and American actress and singer, Dame Angela Lansbury. Born Angela Bridget Lansbury on October 16, 1925 in Regent's Park, London, England, she played various roles across film, stage, and television. Her career, much of it in the United States, spanned eight decades, and her work received much international attention. At the time of her death, she was one of the last surviving stars from the golden age of Hollywood cinema. She was the recipient of numerous accolades, including six Tony Awards, six Golden Globe Awards, a Laurence Olivier Award, and the Academy Honorary Award, in addition to nominations for three Academy Awards, 18 Primetime Emmy Awards, and a Grammy Award. Lansbury was born to an upper-middle-class family in central London, the daughter of Irish actress Moyna McGill and English politician Edgar Lansbury. To escape the Blitz, she moved to the United States in 1940, studying acting in New York City. Proceeding to Hollywood in 1942, she signed to MGM and obtained her first film roles in Gaslight, National Velvet, and The Picture of Dorian Gray earning her two Academy Award nominations and a Golden Globe Award for Best Supporting Actress. She appeared in 11 further MGM films, mostly in minor roles, and after her contract ended in 1952, she began to supplement her cinematic work with theatrical appearances. Although she was largely seen as a B-list star during this period, her role in the film The Manchurian Candidate received widespread acclaim, and it was frequently cited as one of her best performances during her career earning her a third Academy Award nomination and another Golden Globe Award for Best Supporting Actress. Moving into musical theater, Lansbury finally gained stardom for playing the leading role in the Broadway musical Mame, which won her first Tony Award and established her as a gay icon. Amidst difficulties in her personal life, Lansbury moved from California to County Cork, Ireland in 1970, and she continued to star in a variety of theatrical and cinematic appearances throughout the decade. These appearances included leading roles in the stage musicals Gypsy, Sweeney Todd, and The King and I, as well as in the hit Disney film Bedknobs and Broomsticks. Moving into television in 1984, she achieved worldwide fame as the fictional writer and sleuth Jessica Fletcher in the American Whodunit series Murder, She Wrote, which ran for 12 seasons until 1996, becoming one of the longest-running and most popular detective drama series in television history. Through Corey Moore Productions, a company that she co-owned with her husband, Peter Shaw, Lansbury assumed ownership of the series, and she was its executive producer during its final four seasons. She also moved into voice work, contributing to animated films like Disney's Beauty and the Beast and Don Bluth's Anastasia. She toured in a variety of international productions and continued to make appearances in films such as Nanny McPhee and Mary Poppins Returns. 
Her final film role was in Glass Onion, a Knives Out mystery in 2022. Lansbury received an Honorary Academy Award, a Lifetime Achievement Award from the BAFTA, a Lifetime Achievement Tony Award, and five additional Tony Awards, six Golden Globes, and an Olivier Award. She also was nominated for numerous other industry awards, including the Academy Award for Best Supporting Actress three times, various Primetime Emmy Awards on 18 occasions, including 12 Emmy nominations in a row for Best Actress for Murder, She Wrote, and a Grammy Award for Beauty and the Beast. In 2014, Lansbury was appointed Dame Commander of the Order of the British Empire by Queen Elizabeth II. She was the subject of three biographies. Lansbury died in her sleep at her home in Los Angeles, California on October 11, 2022 at 1.30 Pacific Standard Time, five days before her 97th birthday. On Wednesday, we lost American professional basketball player Lucius Jackson. Born Lucius Brown Jackson on October 31, 1941 in San Marcos, Texas, he played power forward and center for the Philadelphia 76ers of the National Basketball Association from 1964 to 1972. Jackson also played for the U.S. national team in the 1964 Summer Olympics. Jackson died from heart failure in Houston, Texas on October 12, 2022 at the age of 80. On Thursday, we lost American professional baseball player Bruce Souter. Born Howard Bruce Souter on January 8, 1953 in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, he played 12 seasons in Major League Baseball between 1976 and 1988. He was one of the sport's dominant relievers in the late 1970s and early 1980s, making effective use of the split-finger fastball. A six-time All-Star and 1982 World Series champion, Souter recorded a 2.83 career earned run average and 300 saves, third most in MLB history at the time of his retirement. Souter won the National League's Cy Young Award in 1979 as its top pitcher and won the NL Rolades Relief Man Award four times. He became the only pitcher to lead the NL in saves five times, 1979 to 1982, as well as 1984. Born in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, Souter briefly attended Old Dominion University and was subsequently signed by the Chicago Cubs as an undrafted free agent in 1971. He played five years for the Cubs, four for the St. Louis Cardinals, and three for the Atlanta Braves, serving as each team's closer during his tenure. His usage in the 8th and ninth innings of games was partly responsible for ushering in a more specialized era for the closer role. In the mid-1980s, Souter began to experience shoulder problems, undergoing three surgeries before retiring in 1989. Souter was inducted into the Baseball Hall of Fame in 2006, his 13th year of eligibility. He was also honored by the Cardinals with the retirement of his uniform number 42 in 2006 an induction into the Cardinals Hall of Fame in 2014. Souter also served as a minor league consultant for the Philadelphia Phillies. Souter died at the age of 69 at a hospice in Cartersville, Georgia on October 13, 2022 after a recent diagnosis of cancer. On Friday, we lost Scottish actor and comedian Robbie Coltrane. Born Anthony Robert McMillan on March 30, 1950 in Rutherglen, Scotland, he gained worldwide recognition as Rubus Hagrid in the Harry Potter film series, 
as well as Valentin Dmitrievich Sukovsky in the James Bond films Goldeneye and The World Is Not Enough. He was appointed an OBE in the 2006 New Year Honors by Queen Elizabeth II for his services to drama. In 1990, Coltrane received the Evening Standard British Film Award, Peter Sellers Award for Comedy. In 2011, he was honored for his outstanding contribution to film at the British Academy Scotland Awards. Coltrane started his career appearing alongside Hugh Laurie, Stephen Fry, and Emma Thompson in the sketch series Al Fresco. In 1987, he starred in the BBC miniseries Tutti Frutti alongside Thompson, for which he received his first British Academy Television Award for Best Actor nomination. Coltrane then gained national prominence, starring as criminal psychologist Dr. Eddie Fitz Fitzgerald in the ITV television series Cracker, a role which saw him receive the British Academy Television Award for Best Actor in three consecutive years. In 2006, Coltrane came 11th in ITV's poll of TV's 50 Greatest Stars, voted by the public. In 2016, he starred in the four-part Channel 4 series National Treasure alongside Julie Walters, a role for which he received a British Academy Television Award nomination. Coltrane appeared in two films for George Harrison's handmade films, the Neil Jordan, Neo Noir, Mona Lisa with Bob Hoskins, and Nuns on the Run with Eric Idle. He also appeared in Kenneth Branagh's Shakespeare adaptation Henry V, the comedy Let It Ride, Roald Dahl's Danny, the champion of the world, Steven Soderbergh's crime comedy thriller Ocean's Twelve, Ryan Johnson's caper film The Brothers Bloom, Mike Newell Dickens' film adaptation Great Expectations, and Emma Thompson's biographical film Effie Gray. He was also known for his voice performances in the animated films The Tale of Despero and Pixar's Brave. On October 14, 2022, Coltrane died at Fourth Valley Royal Hospital in Larbark, Scotland at the age of 72. He had been ill for two years prior to his death. Manute Bull was a Sudanese-American professional basketball player and political activist. Born on October 16, 1962, in Turalay, Sudan, he was listed at 7 foot 6, tied with George Mirasan as the tallest player in the history of the National Basketball Association. After he played college basketball for the Bridgeport Purple Knights, Bull was selected by the Washington Bullets in the 1985 NBA Draft. Bull played for the Bullets and three other teams over the course of his NBA career, which lasted from 1985 to 1995. A center, Bull is considered among the best shot blockers in the history of the sport and is the only NBA player to retire with more shot blocks than points scored. As of 2020, he ranks second in NBA history in block shots per game and 16th in total block shots. Bull was notable for his efforts to promote human rights in his native Sudan and aid for Sudanese refugees. On June 19, 2010, Bull died from acute kidney failure and complications from Stevens-Johnson syndrome at the University of Virginia Medical Center in Charlottesville, Virginia. He was 47. He is also buried in South Sudan. Dave DeBusher was an American professional basketball player and coach, as well as a professional baseball player. 
born David Albert DeBusher on October 16, 1940 in Detroit, Michigan. He played for the Chicago White Sox of the MLB in 1962 and 1963, and in the NBA for the Detroit Pistons from 1962 through 1968, and for the New York Knicks from 1968 to 1974. He was also the head coach for the Pistons from 1964 through 1967. DeBusher was inducted into the Naismith Memorial Basketball Hall of Fame in 1983. In 1996, DeBusher was named as one of the 50 greatest players in NBA history. On October 2021, DeBusher was again honored as one of the league's greatest players of all time by being named to the NBA 75th anniversary team. In May 2003, DeBusher collapsed on a Manhattan street from a heart attack and was pronounced dead at New York University Hospital. DeBusher was interred at St. Joseph Church Cemetery in Garden City, New York. He was 62 at the time of his death. On this day in 2009, Black Dynamite premiered in theaters. Black Dynamite is an American black exploitation action comedy film starring Michael Jai White, Tommy Davison, and Sally Richardson. The film was directed by Scott Sanders and co-written by White, Sanders, and Byron Minns, who also co-stars. The plot centers on former CIA agent Black Dynamite, who must avenge his brother's death while cleaning the streets of a new drug that is ravaging the community. The film is a parody of and homage to the black exploitation genre and its era. It had a trailer and funding even before a script was written. Black Dynamite was shot in 20 days in Super 16 format. The film was released in the United States on October 16, 2009 for only two weeks and was well received by critics. It was released on home video on February 16, 2010. In the early 1970s, Black Dynamite, a Vietnam War veteran and former CIA officer skilled in Kung Fu, vows to clean up the streets of drug dealers and gangsters after his younger brother Jimmy is killed by a shady organization. O'Leary, Black Dynamite's former army and CIA partner reinstates him into the agency because they do not want him seeking vengeance by himself. While trying to get to the bottom of Jimmy's murder, he finds out that his brother was actually working undercover for the CIA. Black Dynamite also discovers the shady organization is filling the black orphanages with heroin. He declares war on local drug dealers and successfully cleans up the streets, earning him the affection of Gloria, a black power activist who works at the local orphanage. After discovering the government's involvement in the drug ring, Black Dynamite steals the ledger belonging to corrupt congressman James, which details illegal shipments to a warehouse. Black Dynamite and his team, consisting of his close friend Bullhorn, street hustler Cream Corn, militant leader Saheed, and three militants, storm the warehouse to capture a big shipment. They learn of a top secret operation called Code Kansas, but there are no drugs in the warehouse. They find only Anaconda brand malt liquor, a government produced brand that, according to the advertising slogan, gives you ooh. In a diner, 
they decipher the slogan and uncover Code Kansas as a plan to literally emasculate African-American men through Anaconda malt liquor, which is formulated to give you a little dick. The militant Gunsmoke, who has fallen victim to the liquor's effect, is killed to put him out of his misery. Returning to the warehouse, Black Dynamite finds O'Leary as part of the evil plan, but is just following orders. He kills O'Leary before acquiring his next lead to find the source of the Code Kansas plan. Black Dynamite heads to Kung Fu Island, where he discovers that his old nemesis, the fiendish Dr. Wu, is responsible for creating the secret formula found in Anaconda malt liquor. In a protracted battle which kills Saheed, the three militants, and Bullhorn, Black Dynamite discovers the true identity of the mastermind of the entire operation, the White House. Black Dynamite then travels to the White House and confronts President Richard Nixon, who has been giving the orders from the beginning. Black Dynamite engages Nixon in a kung fu battle. Nixon gets the upper hand when he dishonestly pulls John Wilkes Booth's gun, but the ghost of Abraham Lincoln appears and disarms Nixon with kung fu. After defeating Nixon in a fair fight, Black Dynamite threatens to expose Nixon as the subject of a series of bondage and cross-dressing photographs. The president begs to be killed, but Black Dynamite refuses to give him the easy way out and has Nixon watch out for his people. The film concludes with a monologue from Black Dynamite on his quest for justice as Gloria and Pat Nixon watch on rapturously. Michael J. White originally thought of the idea for Black Dynamite around April 2006 while listening to James Brown's Superbad. White had also held exploitation movie parties where he picked up the funny inconsistencies in the films. White rented costumes, photographed himself, and showed it to Sanders, who was attracted to the idea. The same blue costume on White's photograph was used in the final scene of the film. The original trailer was recorded even before the film went into production in order to raise money. It incorporated scenes from old exploitation movies with old voiceovers from Adolf Caesar. The trailer was shot on Super 8 millimeter film for around $500 and contained numerous cultural references that placed the film in the 1970s, such as referring to the star of the film as a Baltimore Colts running back and marveling at Black Dynamite's $5,000 car and $100 suit. White and Sanders showed it to John Steingart, who told them, oh my god, okay, we can raise money for this. Once financing was secured, writing the script took about three weeks. During the writing process, men's almost encyclopedic knowledge of exploitation helped them produce the script more quickly. Cinematographer Sean Moore shot Black Dynamite on Super 16 color reversal Kodak film stock to get the high contrast and saturated look common in many low-budget exploitation films of the 70s. The film was then converted to digital for editing. The filmmakers supplemented their shoot with period stock footage from films such as Missing in Action, Charlie's Angels, and Policewoman. Black Dynamite was shot in the Leemark Park, Ladera Heights, and Angeles Vista sections of Los Angeles over 20 days, with several green screen days and one reshoot day. The film had such a low budget that they had to think in the same ways that they had to think in the classic exploitation movies. Sanders and White had a difficult time keeping the modern world out of the movie. Sanders was worried about anything modern that could destroy the whole illusion. White worked individually with actors to keep their tone correct. 
as an homage to the low production values and one take only style of black exploitation films, many filming errors were done on purpose. For example, in one scene where Black Dynamite stands up from his desk, a red boom microphone appears above his head, as was common in Rudy Ray Moore films, such as Dolomite. Some of the actors recite their stage directions before their intended dialogue. In one scene, an actor verbalizes the stage direction written into a film script and continues saying the scripted dialogue, like, how did you get in here? During casting, White sent Arsenio Hall the script and when he read that there's a Captain Kangaroo pimp in this thing, he accepted the role. Black Dynamite received positive reviews and currently holds an 84% approval rating on Rotten Tomatoes. The site states, a loving and meticulous send-up of 1970s black exploitation movies, Black Dynamite is funny enough for the frat house and clever enough for film buffs. Owen Gleiberman wrote in Entertainment Weekly, Black Dynamite blends satire, nostalgia, and cinema deconstruction into a one-of-a-kind comedy high, noting Sanders captured the language and feel of black exploitation. Roger Ebert awarded the film three stars out of four and said Black Dynamite gets it mostly right, and when it's wrong, it's wrong on purpose and knows just what it's doing. He added that the film meticulously reproduces 1970s black exploitation and brings back much-needed gratuitous nudity. A.O. Scott of the New York Times considered Black Dynamite would be a better five-minute clip on YouTube than a feature film. Scott wrote, a boom mic drifts down into the frame, an actor recites stage directions along with his lines. The camera zooms, pans, and shifts focus as if it were being wielded by an optometrist on a cocaine binge. The acting is stiff, the dialogue painfully self-conscious, the action sequences choreographed and edited to look as cartoonish as possible, all of which is fun for a while in an academic kind of way. In a 2012 interview, Black Dynamite responded to Scott saying, well, obviously AO stands for asshole's opinion because we here talking about it right now. Damn movie's been tweeted about every two minutes since 2009. You jive turkey. Dynamite, dynamite. for October 16th. Turning 25 today is Haitian Japanese tennis player Naomi Osaka. American baseball player Bryce Harper turns 30. Canadian wrestler Kenny Omega turns 39 today. American singer, songwriter, guitarist, and producer John Mayer is 45. American wrestler Justin Credible turns 49 today. Turning 50 years old is American football player and radio host Cordell Stewart. American singer-songwriter Wendy Wilson turns 53, as well as American actress and producer Terry J. Vaughn. Turning 60 today is Australian-American bass player, songwriter, and actor of the legendary band Red Hot Chili Peppers, Flea. Happy 64th birthday to American actor, director, and screenwriter Tim Robbins. American director, producer, and screenwriter David Zucker turns 75 today as well as American singer, songwriter, and guitarist of the band Grateful Dead, Bob Weir. 
Happy 76th birthday to American actress and producer Suzanne Summers. And turning 81 years old today is American baseball player, sportscaster, and singer Tim McCarver. up another edition of over the culture podcast as always check out happen in the 90s every thursday crush gasm every wednesday b3f podcast and don't worry be moody with amanda and wade y'all be cool peace